Did you guys learn anything already? <laughs> I learned that Pastor Joe does not like Christmas. I'll tell you what, just as a confession, this is, this is, this is between me and the Lord right here, right? So it's, it's my conviction. But, you, you know, one day I'm going to get married, so i got to deal with that, right? And also it's my conviction to homeschool, and it's my conviction to do a whole lot of other things that people think I'm weird in culture for, okay? So when I met my wife, then as my girlfriend, and then as my engaged person, and we go to marriage counseling, that was put on the table immediately. That was put on, this is what I'm expecting in a house. We're not going to celebrate Christmas. We're not going to... Uh, send our kids to public school, and that may require you to be at home more than you thought about, and, you know, we're, we're going to do X, Y, and Z type things. You know, we're, this is what we're going to do, and my wife said, that's what God is speaking to me, and I agree with you to do that. Well, I don't know what happened over the years, but her having kids and missing Christmas, Christmas began to sneak up a little bit more into our house until one, one uh, Christmas morning I woke up and my children were not opening up presents but socks that they had put over the, uh, you know, stockings that they had put over the, the fireplace. And I wish that I could tell you that I was chill then. I was not chill. I was like, what are we doing? I'm like, if you want this at your mom's house, bring it to your mom's house. I don't want any of this garbage here. So, yes, I did ruin Christmas for my children. Pray for me, okay? I didn't yell. I didn't get, like, like over the top. I was just like, I don't want to see this anymore. And here's just one of the reasons. I don't know about you, but uh, our personal convictions oftentimes come from our lives, you know? So it's like God uses our life to give us a conviction, and it protects us. So, like, me taking out my earrings when I first got saved was God protecting me from wanting to be like be real from Cypress Hill because that was my guy. I wore flannels, baggy cargo pants, you know, uh, those work boots. I wore a beanie over my head, goatee, you know, hoops hanging out, smoked weed all the time. And when I was coming back from the mall one day looking like that, obviously now as a new Christian, the Lord said, that's not you. Take off the beanie. Nothing wrong with wearing a beanie. I still wear them, but the way I was wearing it up to my eyebrows, you know, take out the hoops. Stop looking like that. Okay, so that was a personal conviction. Well, I've asked the Lord, you know, why do I hate Christmas so much? You know, why, why is this? When I was a non-Christian, I didn't care what Christians did. But why as a Christian? And I think it goes uh, to my heart for Jesus and being such a purist of the scripture. So it's not a command in the scripture, and yet a lot of people do it, and they do it hypocritically. So there's like a whole bunch of little things that build up to one thing. I don't like hypocrisy. I don't like it at all. So I don't like people talking about Jesus who don't live for Jesus. I don't like hearing his name in vain. That just bothers me. It's a personal conviction. Can I hear an amen to that? I don't like people doing things outside of the scripture that they think is part of the scripture. So I don't like people making up stuff. So people make up stuff around Christmas. He was born. That was it. There wasn't supposed to be anything more than that. The celebration of the kings is to honor the king of kings coming to the earth. There wasn't supposed to be a special day after that. This is kind of like taking on the ideas that we need pagan holidays. And it's not necessarily a pagan thing, but it's just the idea of we need, we need to look like this to celebrate our king. And we don't. He was born in a manger. He was born humbly. They blessed him. And then he lived his life. He did, the rest of the days, he wasn't talking about it. The rest of the disciples, they never talked about it. They didn't say, now we're going to go celebrate his birth. Is everybody tracking with me? So when I see pastors just pontificate and make up stuff and go beyond whatever Jesus said, and then of course you get into the corruption of the church and people taking up offerings and all of that and doing different things around that time for their building funds. You know, give your best gift to Jesus to help us build this, you know, fountain or whatever. It just would bother me. So you put all that together, hypocrisy and things not in the Bible, that's just probably why I personally dislike it. So it's not that I dislike you dressing up like Santa. I actually don't have a problem with dressing up like make-believe. My kids dress up like make-believe all the time, all right? I don't have a problem with people giving gifts, 
eating food. And I actually don't have a problem with sinners thinking about Jesus during that time, you know. So if you want to bring your friends to church on Christmas Eve, they're going to get to know the real Jesus. Can I hear an amen? And, I, and if they come to church more readily on Christmas Day, that's amazing. And so when I see your family doing all of that, that actually doesn't bother me. It's just for me in my house, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want my children to ever get confused that this has zero to do with Jesus. You don't get any gifts on Jesus' birthday. You can get that from somebody else, but not from me. You get your own gifts on your birthday. On Jesus' day, let's go do something amazing. You know, that's the way I look at it. And so then my kids can go to counseling and confess it to the counselor. You know, I grew up in this crazy religious home. Oh, tell me all about it. Oh, my dad didn't let me watch Harry Potter and then I couldn't celebrate Christmas and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, okay, so then they can tell their counselor that. But for me, I just want it to be ingrained in them. Christmas is about Jesus, if that's what you want. There's no, there's no, there's no command to do that, but if on this day, our culture decided to do that, and, and I've gone back and forth on the dating of that, now I'm leading more towards the December of, of, of 25th has nothing to do with Saturnalia or these other festivals, I actually think Rome was copying them, which goes, see, like, you go a little bit deep, you think Christmas is pagan. You go a little bit more deep, you realize it was the pagans copying Christians, which is a whole other discussion. And so the, the idea that I have over those dates and all that is, is probably is about as deep as I can get on that. I've written on that. I've done shows on that, uh, podcast. But, but here's the most important thing. If you're going to make a day for Jesus, make it just about Jesus. And if at that time you want to gift give, that's fine. If at that time you want to have family, because that's good things that happen, you get together with your, your family and all that, Go ahead and do that. Just remember, this Jesus right here is going to come and judge the world. So we should have the Judgment Day celebration as well. Amen? We should remember Armageddon. We should all dress up like Jesus on a white horse with a, store, with a sword stained with blood if we're going to celebrate anything because that's the next thing coming down. Can I hear an amen? He's not looking like that little baby. He's not looking like that. When he comes down, he's coming down on a horse. So just as long as you remember that and then you gift give, that's fun. And then obviously nobody's buying me anything for Christmas after this, right? And God bless you for that. Okay, now you know how to respect and honor me. Sometimes every now and then somebody will slip me something and then they look at me like, is he just going to throw it back at us? I don't celebrate Christmas. No, like I'll eat your little brittle or whatever you give me because I'm not going to be rude to you, right? But God bless you for understanding my conviction and still loving me. How many still love me? Even though I'm a weirdy sometimes. I'm weird. Now, just let me say this last thing right here because, you know, I went a lot further into this. Pastoring a church where almost 99% of you guys think totally different about Christmas is amazing because here, here's, here's what the Bible talks about. The weaker should put up with the stronger and the stronger with the weaker. I 100% acknowledge I'm the weaker here because there's nothing inherently evil about that day. It's the stuff that I don't like, but there's nothing inherently evil about it. So I am the weaker brother. It's like you have to be uh, you know, sensitive to me and be like, well, Joe feels this way about it. But as the weaker brother, see, I recognize that and instead of making a doctrine out of it, which you'll meet people on the internet, they'll preach against that they'll basically put their brothers and sisters in hell because of it, and uh, they'll be really super sassy. And I used to be that way. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I would have put you in hell over it, but I used to hate it, and I would preach against it. So if you've ever seen people be like that, I was pretty serious about that. And I thought I had all of this information that tied it to paganism, but as you study it more, that's actually more conspiracy. But uh, here, here's my heart behind it. In, in the book of Romans and in Corinthians, when it talks about there being differences of opinion, they're in the same church. So in the same church, there's going to be vegetarians and 
and meat eaters. In the same church, there's going to be people who drink in moderation alcohol, and then there's going to be people who abstain. In the same church, there's going to be people who feel called to virginity and to remain single for the rest of their life, and there's going to be people who are married. And that's what the Bible's dealing with, and it says get along with each other and love each other and respect each other and don't try to force each other's views and don't make one seem better than the other. And this is kind of like what I've seen over the years is generally the one that's legalistic and the one that has more of the conviction, like for me, tries to put it on everybody else as a rule. So somebody says, well, Halloween, I hate Halloween because I used to be a you know, blood-drinking demon worshiper on Halloween, and so now your children who dress up like Iron Man, they're going to go to hell. And we're like, hold on. No, no, no. That's not inherently evil. You have all this personal conviction because what that means to you. What we're just doing is Halloween and Eve. We're making an Eve holy, not unto the devil, but unto God. I make every Eve holy. Can I hear an amen? And if my kids want to dress up as a fictional character to learn the lesson of good versus evil and apply it to the scriptures, as Paul did with the prophets of, of the uh, the pagans when he's there in Acts 17 and, and, and you know, and at Athens and all of that, okay, Okay, well then, you know, let us make our own conviction. But see, generally what happens is, is that people who have more legalism, more conviction, want to push that onto the people who don't have it. So once again, you'll see this with the King James only. I used to be that as well. And then it's like they put down all the other versions, non-inspired version. You know, that's what we used to call the NIV. And then the people who dress up, put down those who don't dress up. How many see what I'm talking about here? Instead of just chilling. So it's oftentimes very hard for a, a, a person that has more conviction to chill. And you have to remember, when I first got saved, I didn't go to the beach. I didn't listen even to Christian hip-hop. I didn't listen to anything other than worship music. Those of you who are familiar with Jimmy Swaggart, I was very similar to my beliefs in him, even though he had already fallen. But the Bible college that I went to was heavily influenced by Jimmy Swaggart. Jimmy Swaggart, to this day, I believe, doesn't let his uh, his, uh, his kids in the, in the schools that he has there on campus wear gym clothes. They don't wear gym clothes. Uh, they, they, you know, when I went swimming, when I took my guys out swimming, they had to wear shirts with, with, uh, with long shorts, girls wore all of that. And so once again, that's kind of like an idea. But but the problem there isn't having convictions over that. Okay, cool. I mean, people are too naked as it is. You want to cover up. You want to do certain things. Okay, that's fine. But you now don't want to make that a law that everybody has to abide by. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So that's, that's my heart for you. I hope that you can pray for me. And uh, one day, wouldn't it be funny if I came wearing a little Santa's hat up here? And I'm like, I'm free. Merry Christmas, everybody. Christmas party at my house. Come on over. You know, and that'd just be funny. Don't think it's happening. It's been about 30 years since I haven't celebrated Christmas. So uh, God bless you. Now, open up your Bibles with me. And I see we're here to Luke chapter 4. Next few weeks, Lord willing, until after the new year, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just be preaching hot off the oven. I was back there. God gave me a whole message. I put together a slide. It's just a gift God has given me, so don't think I'm trying to brag or boast in this. But uh, this is just what I love to do in between sermon series. We just got out of the sermon series on the church. And what I would like to talk today about is godliness in action. Everybody say godliness in action. Amen. Let's start in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, talking about Jesus. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So here is Jesus, now in his uh, time beginning his ministry. He is now going to share with the Jewish people who he is from the scriptures. And now he quotes from Isaiah chapter 61. The 
Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. This is a right here tradition to us that where he's sitting down is where they had a seat for the Messiah in the synagogues. We don't know for sure, but this is what has been speculated, is that in every synagogue there was a seat that they reserved for the Messiah to come and do his, his rulership from, so they would put that there as a seat of honor. And so Jesus, uh, according to the historians, gave the scroll and then sat down in the Messiah's chair that nobody else would ever sit in. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So think about what Jesus just did right here, because we always like to exalt Jesus and who he is. If you scroll up, please, you notice that Jesus takes a prophecy of the scripture. Scroll up a little bit more, please. He takes a prophecy of the scripture, and he applies it to himself. That is 100% making him the divine son of God. This is not merely a human prophet doing these things, though the Spirit of the Lord has come upon them in the past. What he is now saying is he is doing the very prerogative of God himself in the promises of Isaiah. And so go to now Isaiah chapter 7, and you'll see how this builds up and crescendos into Isaiah 61. Just because we love Jesus, we're going to do this. How many love Jesus? How many love hearing scriptures about Jesus? Amen. And it does ha happen to apply to Christmas, so maybe God's playing a joke on me right now. Hey, Joe, I'm going to have you talk about Christmas stuff right now. But I'm really going to preach about this. Yeah, you think you're preaching about this, but you're going to tell us Christmas uh, verses right now. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call, or you will call him Emmanuel. Does anybody think God has a sense of humor? Having me read these scriptures, even though I don't celebrate Christmas, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. You prophetically write that in your journal. Now go to Isaiah chapter 9. So here we see in Isaiah 7 that he's going to be called God with us. We know that's what it means. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse 6. This talking about the same child that's going to be God with us is going to be born unto us. The son is given. Notice this, child is born. That is the flesh. That is the nature that Jesus will um, incarnate in. But the son is given. So the son is eternal. The son is given, the child is born. Notice the two natures there. The child, humanity of Jesus. The son, the divinity. Can I hear an amen to that? Does everybody see that? That's, that's amazing that that's being said that way. Jesus is not technically born, his flesh is. Does everybody get that? Jesus preexisted him taking on the child's flesh. He now forever has flesh as he's lived in it to about 33 years old. When Luke chapter 4 happens, he's about 30 years old. Then he ascends to heaven, right, with resurrected flesh. He has it now forever um, as what we would say intermingled with his divine nature. So he is truly the God-man. But notice it there in Isaiah 9, 6, no wasted word in Scripture. For to us a child is what? Born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor and what else will he be called mighty god and what everlasting father prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this so notice this right here this scripture that teaches what the Messiah will do, teaches us that the Messiah is also God, like the Father is God. 
And if we call him everlasting father, that does not mean he's God the father. It means he's a father like the father. Remember, you can call me a great father, but that doesn't mean you're calling me Jim Myrostic, my father. Does everybody understand that? Jesus can be a father like God the Father, but not be the person of God the Father. He shares the same nature of the Father. So what makes God the Father an everlasting father? He is the creator of everything that we know. He is the progenitor, the creator and provider of everything. That's Father, that's what it means. Father does not mean male genitalia. The father does not have a physical body. Can I hear an amen to that? That's what Mormons believe. Mormons believe that God is physical. We do not believe that God is spirit, and those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. So how is God like a father? He doesn't have it by male genitalia. He doesn't have it by a beard and, and uh, drinking beer on the weekends or uh, building a fort back in the backyard for his kids. That's not how he's a father. How he's a father is he is the progenitor. He is the creator. He is the provider. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, how is Jesus a father? He's not God the father. He's a father in the same way. I'm a father, but not my father. But how am I like my father? I am a progenitor. I am a provider. I am a creator of resources in my family. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, so that's how we understand Jesus. Now, why is that so important? Because when we get to Isaiah 61, we already have as the context Isaiah 7, and Isaiah 9, obviously Isaiah 53, what the Messiah will go through. And when we get to Isaiah chapter 61, we learn that the Spirit of the Lord is upon this messianic figure to do these wonderful things. And look at Isaiah 61 again, starting there in verse 1. And the first thing, notice this, that the Lord anoints, and the word Messiah, Mashiach, comes from the word anoint. See if you can run your... Um, your, your mouse over the word anoint there, and you can see some uh, Greek there, I mean uh, some Hebrew. Go over to anoint. It starts with an A, anointed one right there. Yeah, right-click that. That's where we get the word Messiah from. You're going to see Mashiach in there if you can right-click on that word anointed. And as he's getting ready to do that, notice that the first point of the, yeah, just right-click. You should uh, be able to right-click, or just, I guess, tap on it. Let's see what you can do here, because I want you to see this word here, everybody. There you go. This word is where we get the word Messiah from, okay? And I want everybody to understand this, that the reason why the Messiah, Meshach, does everybody see that word right there? And it means to smear with liquid and to anoint. Thank you, brothers in the back. You're doing great. And the reason why that's important is because the number one reason, notice this, Isaiah 61 says he's the Messiah, says he's the anointed one, is because he's going to preach the gospel to who? Don't look at the screen. Karaoke's running lagging behind. Look at your Bible. He's going to do what? Preach the gospel to the who? To the poor. That's going to be what marks the Mashiach, the Messiah, the one smeared and covered with the Holy Spirit. He's going to preach to the poor. The Bible uplifts the poor. The Bible takes the poor and needy and puts them in the place of princes. If you read Tom Holland's book on dominion, he's a secular humanist. He said that it's because of Christianity that slaves are free. It's a secular humanist. He says it's because of Christianity that there is women's rights. It's because of Christianity that hospitals take care of those in need even if they can't afford it. And it's the reason why Christian nations, good, bad, or ugly, and things they have done wrong are the most prosperous nations in the world to date. Hmm. Now I wonder, 
how much we're thinking about the poor now and preaching the gospel to them in this generation. I have never seen in my time, almost 30 years now of serving the Lord, more distracted Christians than I have right now. Even just 10, 15 years ago, Christians uplifted mission trips, urban missions, going downtown Chicago, taking care of the poor and the needy. I cannot can't even think of now. I'm not saying they're not happening. I can't even think of a major denomination doing something in our cities anymore during the summer. The denomination I used to be a part of, I won't mention the name here, used to have a massive upwards of a thousand young people coming downtown Chicago every year called Chicago Outreach. One of my pastor's friends led it up. A thousand young people storming into the city of Chicago, going to the south side, the west side, reaching out to the streets. I could hardly think of churches that even do this anymore. Most of what our charity has become is not gospel-centered. Most of it has become indistinguishable from what the Red Cross does or from what uh, goodwill does. It's no longer gospel-centered as how it used to be. When I grew up in the youth group that I was a part of, they took mission trips to the Philippines and would come back with the stories of going there to the dumps and preaching the gospel. And the Philippines, believe it or not, is a, is a country that they love basketball. And my youth pastor was a big-time basketball player. He looked like Larry Bird, tall, white guy. And he would go out there and hold basketball tournaments. And for fun, because I guess they loved it, he would whoop on them and beat them all the time. But they would come out there and love to play them as if they were playing the whole Harlem Globetrotters, you know, and they would preach the gospel. And I remember these stories. And one of those home missionary pastors that was from that area that was doing great missions was our dear friend that would come and that comes and preaches here. And so I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana in my church when they invited Pastor Ray Lierna to come from the Philippines to talk about what was going on there. And I remember hearing him preach, and I said, I want to be like that man. He, 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 how many know Pastor Ray? He's only about this big, but he preaches like he's this big, amen? And he doesn't run out of any energy, amen? He's just powerful and on fire. And I remember I wanted to be like him, and he laid hands on me and prayed for me. And it wasn't until years later that I found out that he moved to Chicago and started pastoring in an English-speaking church here, and he reached out to the new pastor on the block, which happened to be me, and befriended me, and then I told him right when I saw him, I said, I remember you, I remember you, I know who you are, you had preached a while back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, he said, oh yeah, I know that church, but listen to me, you know what he said? He said, they don't send the missionaries like they used to, that was years ago. This last trip that he was here, those of you remember, he was here. The last trip he said to me with tears in his eyes, he said, you're one of the only churches in Chicago now that even host me anymore. I said, Pastor Ray, what happened to all the churches that love the Philippines? What happened to all the people that would reach out and just sow seed into those communities? And by the way, Tisa and Jean now are stationed there, by God's grace, as our supporting missionaries in the Philippines. So we used to support them in Africa and, and Pastor Ray in the Philippines, but now they're both in the Philippines. And guess where we feel God is calling us to go? To the Philippines, praise God. So we're going there pretty soon. We're just going to do it right and, and with the budget and everything. And so I, I started talking to him, and I said, how are people not concerned about this? Because I hear from I hear from Gene and Tisa, it's just as bad as it's ever been. Urban poverty, and, and, and you know, there's, there's such a lack of resources for the people. He said, you know what? He said, so many of these big churches, 
that I used to go to and preach, and they would give me large offerings. He says, now all they want is church growth. It's Pastor Ray speaking. He says, all they want is church growth and for people to give to their ministries. I've never heard this before. I mean, the missionaries used to be our heroes. Going overseas used to be what you did because that's what all Christians do. It's, it's not like if I'm going on a mission trip. It's when I'm going on a mission trip. And when God called me, he called me out of the suburbs of Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm saying all of this because highlight the verse, proclaim good news to the poor, please. Just in case I'm getting too long-winded in stories. I never want the word to get lost in my stories. Notice this. When I first got called into ministry in Fort Wayne, Indiana, the very first thing God said after he said preach the gospel was go feed the poor. And I've told the story many times, but it's, it's, it's worth repeating. I'm driving a Saturn that my parents have given me. I'm working at a pizza delivery place when they can get me going on some hours. And with my one of the Christian friends that I met doing some roofing, and I'm making just a couple hundred bucks a week, and the Lord says to me, now start giving away food to the poor. No one has a food bank that I know of. Nobody is doing it that I know of. I just remember when I first was a young person coming up in church that people like Pastor Ron and others that I went to their churches, the vineyard of that town, that they used to take care of the poor. So when I got saved, you have to understand this, it just went hand in hand. But at the time I got saved, those ministries weren't going on anymore. They were only sporadic and so then I went and started talking to those people. How did you do this? And how did you do that? And they said, well, we went to the Fort Wayne Food Bank. And so I go there, think about this, as an 18-year-old kid just a few months earlier selling drugs. Nobody's motivating me. Nobody's helping me. And I go to that food bank, and I say, how do I, because you walk in there, it's a big warehouse. I said, how do I get this food and give it away to those people? Pointing out to the streets. And they said, well, we normally sign up churches and organizations, but we'll do it for an individual if we can trust you. And praise God, the anointing was upon me because I think if you'd have looked at me in the natural, I probably still did have the hoops. I probably still was wearing the baggy pants looking like Cypress Hill. I want to get high. You know, they're probably thinking this guy wants to take, his, take our food and go sell it on the streets, you know. But the anointing was upon me. They could tell that the earnestness. And they said, I'll let you do it as an individual. And so right there, I put $100 cash that I had made roofing, that I had made by getting tips, dropping off pizza. And I said, how much will this give me? And they said, well, it's 10 cents a pound. And 10 cents a pound times $100 is how many pounds of food? 1,000 pounds. That Saturn was packed out. That day I left, I'm telling you, there were Cheetos hanging out the side. There were some beans falling out, cans rolling down the road. And then this is God's honest truth. I said to my friend, I had one friend that trusted me enough to go and do this with me. I said, where do we go? And he said, I don't know. And I said, I really don't know either. So I said, let's just start heading to the inner city and see where we can, what we can find. And so I drove into the closest part of the inner city I felt comfortable with. I knocked on their door and I said, hey, do you all need some groceries? And they said, no, man, we probably have more money than you. We don't need any, and it was a nice place, so I didn't really understand gentrification at that time. So then I said, well, what should I do? I'm talking to the person at the door, and they said, you need to go to Cabrini Green. And then the light just went off in my head. I'm like, Cabrini Green, that's where Spanky used to sell me weed. I'm scared of that place. My friend Spanky, for real, I'm telling you this. Spanky used to get high with me. We would go out into his neighborhood. I would get so scared. But I'm like, that's where I need to go. I need to go to Cabrini Green. And I said to my friend, you ready to go to Cabrini Green, man? Or, or excuse me, not Cabrini Green. That's the one out here. What, is that? what did I say that other place was called? 
Does anybody, I literally just said the name. Did I say Cabrini Green from the first? Oh, no, it wasn't. Eating Greens, eating Greens. So I said, brother, you ready to go to Eden Greens? That would be funny. Fort Wayne, we're going to travel all to Chicago. That would have been a story. Uh, but by the way, don't let me forget about Cabrini Green. Well, I'll just tell you now. When I came from the New Orleans to Chicago to the, to the youth group that I worked at a few miles down the road, I said the first thing that we're doing by God's grace is we're taking a mission trip to Cabrini Green. Put it in the calendar. Seriously, we went right to, my wife was like, we're going where? Because she was an administrator at that time. I said, we're going to Cabrini Green. I want to see that place. We're going right out there to preach the gospel to the poor. What was Jesus' first anointing for? To preach the gospel to the what? To the poor. That's the first thing the anointing's there for. And people have forgotten it over these years. You talk to every one of my heroes, that, some that have passed by reading their books or those that are alive. Where did Reinhard Bonnke start? Where did Lester Summerall start? Where did uh, William Seymour start? Where did all the great revivals, Carlos and Acondia of Argentine revival, with the poor? Where did Jesus start? With the poor. And so I go there to uh, Eden Greens, scared, man, afraid. You know, like, what in the world, man? The only time I've been out here is with Spanky to get drugs. These people don't know me. And I just began knocking on doors, and, yeah, they needed groceries. They definitely needed groceries. I remember being in the house, children only in diapers, running around, roaches everywhere, but people just accepting us and bringing us into their home. And that's where I learned to preach. And the first time I was ever handed one of these, because I didn't even know back then that I needed one of these, is I was preaching so, I mean, the place did not have any air conditioning. I am preaching so much fire, sweat is just dripping down my face. And this woman goes, baby, you need one of these. You need one of these. And then she handed me her dish towel. I am so serious. She handed it to me. And I was like, like, oh, right, this feels right, you know, and that's when I, that's when I started, ha- I've been having a preacher's rag ever since then, are you listening to me? I said, you keep this one, I'm going to go out and get me one. You have to understand the anointing is on you to preach the gospel first and foremost to the poor, then to what? The brokenhearted. So brokenhearted is not an economic status now, brokenhearted is everybody. From uh, the one who just committed suicide, that was that comedian, I, I, I forget his name, but... Um, what was his name? The guy who played Mork and Mindy? Robin Williams, thank you. He was brokenhearted, wasn't he? But he had a lot of money, brokenhearted. Look at the people of our culture today. I'm, um, by God's grace, going to pre- maybe preach on this a little bit more tomorrow, uh, next week, and hit on it from a different angle. So let me just give you a little bit of the research, and I might hit on it in the second service right now because kind of things are blurry, but just trust the anointing here as God is helping me to get these words out. But do you think it's any coincidence that this generation has the lowest view of God? In other words, like when they give them surveys, asking them what they think about God, the Bible, and morality, they are only coming across like the the 12-year-old to 18-year-old. You know, they're only coming across with about 2 to 5% of them believe in God as the Bible teaches, okay? Do you think there's any coincidence that that generation is now the most depressed generation that's ever been on this planet? They're the most medicated that's ever been on this planet. They are the most gender confused that's ever been on this planet. Do you think it's any coincidence that as the biblical worldview has dropped to this low, that now their confusion and their mental anguish and their heartbreak has gone that high? Absolutely not. And you know what's happening right now, as I've shared with you guys before about the millennials, you know, they're becoming professionals now, and all of that. Millennial psychiatrists, doctors are having the most highest suicide rates that have ever been around in their profession. Why? Because they're going into this trying to seek help. 
But they're sick and can't heal themselves, let alone the person they're trying to heal. It doesn't mean all that they're doing is wrong, and I'm not against medicine or, uh, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, and, and so forth. And I don't believe it's all a demon, okay? But I'm just saying we are broken in the mental health world, and we don't know how to fix it. And, and should the Lord tarry and we're alive another 20, 30 years, what do you think that generation that's the most depressed, you know, the 17-year-old right now, that 15-year-old, is going to be like when they're a professional, we're going to see skyrocketing rates in middle age like we have never seen before because that's usually where the highest suicide rates are at. It's usually among white males, middle class, you know, middle age. They have everything and they don't have it all. Uh, you know, they think they have it all, but they don't have anything and they take their lives. We're dealing with a broken generation. So we preach the gospel to the poor. We bind up the brokenhearted with the, with the balm of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. We proclaim freedom to the captives. We're supposed to look at the world of drug addiction and preach freedom to them. That's why we have that gospel truck. That's why we pack it full of groceries. That's why we pack it full of food. Go out there to Fentanyl Lane on Chicago and, you know, Western and out there. We go out there and we preach the gospel. How many have ever come out to us with us when we go out to the West Side and preach there on Fentanyl Lane? I've never seen it that bad. Crack would do you wrong in, 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 in one way. Fentanyl does you wrong in a whole other way. I've never seen it like that. People come to us like walking zombies. How many have seen that before? It's brokenhearted. It breaks my heart. That's a brokenhearted person. That's a person in bondage. They're, they're bent over like this. You see what I'm talking about. They come over like this, and they can't even hardly reach up and, and shake your hand. But they're, they're addicted. They're hurting. They're in pain. Hallelujah. But we have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. He came to set the captives free. If the gospel works, it works out there. Amen? That's why you don't see me here waving my hankery around, waving, waving my, my jacket around. I'm not here to impress the fish in the barrel. I'm out there to the ocean to go out there and catch the, the marlins. Amen? I go out there and lay hands on the sick and see them recover, cast out demons out there. I'll do it here with you as well, but we can't just keep it for us four and no more. We have to go out there. Amen? You have to see your pastor leading the way. I was talking to a church, uh, a, pa a person in a church, and he was like, well, I want to put these kinds of things that you guys do Chicago for Jesus in my church, but my pastor really doesn't do it. You'll never go further than your pastor in a church. You, God can use you, and I praise God for that person, but if that pastor is there and he's not leading the way, he's going to be a clog, a stick in the mud. He's going to be preventing the revival from happening. So you need to pray to your, pray to your pastor. Pray for your pastor. Meet with your pastor pastor, and you need to have him get under the anointing. People who say they have the anointing, but they don't care for the poor or the brokenhearted don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They have some other kind of covering, a covering of greed, a covering of self-interest. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind us in this church, we have a covering, an anointing to go out and preach the gospel to the poor. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. And say, well, look at Metro Praise. They don't have enough rich people. You have to go to the other kind of churches to do that. No, I'm not ashamed of that. I've even had some highfalutin people come here and ask for special parking spots so they can park their brand new Corvette in our, car, our parking lot because they don't want anybody to mess it up. And we've had people, big timers, you know, and they come around here and sometimes they, they make little slide comments. Well, I'm different than everybody else. I don't know if I like that Bible study. That's in a different kind of neighborhood. Listen to me, you wicked sinner. If you don't repent of your sins and get right with God, you'll be in hell while they're rejoicing in heaven. Listen to the parable that Jesus gave. The rich man was in hell. Lazarus the beggar was in the bosom of Abraham. And that's where that rich man got jealous of him and said, have him dip his finger in water and touch my tongue with it. You better repent of greed, especially here in America. 
We better repent of our greedy ways. There are no more offerings today, so don't get nervous, okay? But I'm just telling you, we ought to repent of our greedy ways. It's okay to have a big church building. It's okay to do nice things for yourself. We all want to have comfort in this world. And if you do it the right way, God will bless you. He'll take care of you. We're going to get to some of those scriptures in just a moment. But the most important thing is you and I have to remember is we are servants of God, and God wants us to wait on some tables where poor people are at. God wants us to care about those who are neglected. The first work of the church of the deacons was the deacons being servants and taking care of the widows from the Greek and the Hebrew Jewish people. We have to understand that we are here not to have a cruise ship, but a battleship that offers supplies to those in need. We bring the battleship to the harbor, defeat the enemy, and then bring out the supplies and care for those in need. Can I hear an amen for that? That's why I challenge any pastor here of any culture to see what you've done for your people, and I'll put my white behind there by God's grace and say, I can keep up with you. African-American pastor, I've been in your neighborhoods just as much, if not more, than you. African-American uh, schools and teachers and, and principals and, and, and police officers, I've been there as their advocates, as their helpers, helped God a part built on the west side. Then I'll go to the Latino, say, how many times have you been to Bodequa Fest? How many times have you preached out here in Little Mexico in front of your hood or your areas. Are you guys listening to me? And then the white people, I'll go to Belmont and Clark. I'll go to this community. I don't care what culture it is. I'll put myself by God's grace. If I boast anything, I boast in the Lord that no one will outdo me when it comes to reaching people for Jesus. And where do I start? I start with the poor. I start with the poor. I start with the needy. I start with the brokenhearted. I start in the cultures and communities that are being neglected. Because we're not here to simply have a rah, 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 shishkumba rally on Sundays. We're here to get equipped to go out and change the world. And I told you this story, and I don't mean to make this guy look bad, but it just is what it is. I told you the story about the Puerto Rican pastor the first time I wanted to go out to Boricua Fest. No, man, I don't go out there. I had to go out there by myself because that pastor did not want to go. Why are you going to let some gringo outdo you in your own community? Are you listening to me? We have to go out and preach the gospel. We have to. It's a call. We don't just look at the gangs and say to hell with them. No, we don't say that. If you say to hell with anybody, chances are that's where you're going. True Christians don't want anyone to go to hell. We want them to repent and come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? We go to the communities that the others neglect. So, amen, where are we going to find you, Pastor Joe? Where are we going to find you? We're going to find you at the next conference. You're going to be on the next Sid Roth show. You're going to be on this. Well, you know, if God calls me to do those things, yes. But you know where you can always find me? On the streets with the forgotten, the poor, and the neglected, the drug addict. That's where I'll be preaching the gospel. That's where I'll be. I'll be in front of the high schools that everybody's saying is going crazy in Chicago. I'm going to be in front of the colleges. I'm going to be in front of the hood. I'm going to be in front of where other religions are promoting their beliefs. Like we go to little, you know, little Middle East over there, Southeast Asia out there on Devon. We're going to go out there and preach the gospel to them. Brothers and sisters, we are not discouraged by the poor. We are not uh, so like how they used to be in the caste system of India, thinking if they touch us, they give us the cooties. We are not there for our own sake, even to make ourselves look good and to put it on Facebook. I thank God that God has used Juan in the Chicago for Jesus Instagram to get us over 50,000 uh, followers and all of those things. But listen, we've been doing that long before social media ever decided to put us in the algorithm. We don't brag and boast about it. We just go out there and do it. Amen? When you see our Chicago for Jesus hoodies and our shirts out there in the truck, you know what we bought. We bought that gospel business. Amen? 
And anybody who thinks it's, it's because it's uh, the unintelligent thing to do. Well, they can't be good members of your church, or they can't give enough, or they're going to be too much work. Why don't you work with the middle class? Man, i, I got to do what Jesus did. Give me the prostitutes. Give me the broken sinners. Give me those who have been neglected by the religious world. Every time I deal with people that have come from other churches and other situations for more than 20 plus years and they come here, most of the time they deal with the pride of what they've been through. And that doesn't mean we don't accept people from other churches. I'm just here today to tell you that if you come to us as a mature Christian, you got to get on what we're, we're on or go do something else because we don't look like everybody else. We don't do like what everybody else does. Can I hear an amen? We don't just send out TJ and Juan and our radical wants to go preach the gospel. No, we send out our doctors, our lawyers, our best. We send everybody out to preach the gospel. Amen? I said amen. We don't just send out the one that him, you know, Joe, you were a street person, so now you go do street stuff. No, no, no. We get the one who's never been on the streets. You go on the streets because Jesus was on the streets. That's where we go. We give them our best. And you know what that is? That's a testimony. You know, I, I used to say it all the time in the hood. You want to see a sign, here's a sign. A six-foot-one soldier in your neighborhood right now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your sign. Repent and get right for God. with God. Why do you think I'm here right now, boys and girls? Can I hear an amen to that? The Bible says if all you do is love your own, you're not a true Christian. You don't just love your own. You don't just bring over those to dinner that can pay you back. I just don't go around in my neighborhood to Elgin and say, well, you're such a nice neighbor. I want you over for dinner. No, I bring over the one that can't do anything for me over for dinner. I bring over the poor, the hurting, the needy over for dinner. Are you listening? You don't just love your own kind. You love the brokenhearted. You love the poor. Freedom for the captives. Release of prisoner uh, the, from the darkness, those who are in prison and darkness. And you proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What I want to ask us to do as we're preparing to start a new year is to realign ourselves with a passion to be on the streets. Our building may not be the best. Our worship team may not be the hottest thing on iTunes right now, but this is one thing that we can do for sure. We can go hard for Jesus in Chicago like this city has never seen. I'm talking about, I'm talking about resurrecting the vision of D.L. Moody again. I'm talking about going out to those places that those denominations used to have a 1,000 young people do and go out there and spread the gospel net like we have never done before. That's what we can do. We could be known for being gospel preachers. We could be known for those who help the poor and the needy, the immigrant, those that are suffering. And I looked at our different life groups, and we have one that feeds the homeless that's dealing with the immigrant issue right now. And then we have ones that are dealing with the young people and the youth. And then we have ones that are going downtown, you know, reaching the, uh, you know, kind of the, what we would call hipsters. And then we have those going to the west side. How many think we're doing our best right now? But what if I told you we could do more? We could do more because not everybody here is a part of those things yet. I want 100% participation. I remember one time we were doing Bodequa Fest, and, and this is when we were a little bit sassy. Won't be doing it today. Uh, but, but I said, everybody stand up with me, please. If you have already registered for Bodequa Fest, and then Bodequa Fest is the Puerto Rican Fest in Humble Park, if you don't know what I'm saying there, but I think most of the gente do. Can I hear an amen? Just in case somebody doesn't know. So I said, everybody stand up. Oh, excuse me, my wife did this. I didn't do this. My wife said, everybody stand up. Okay, if you have already signed up for Bodequa Fest and you are ready to go, sit down. Guess who was left standing? Those who had not signed up yet. And my wife basically told him, if this is what you don't want to do, then leave the church. You know the one who got the most angry with us and left the church was a Puerto Rican barber. Dude, you're about as Puerto Rican as they get, Barb. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Think of a typical Puerto Rican barber. Just, I've been to one. It took, it took him two hours to cut my white boy hair the way I like it. 
you know what I'm saying, line me up and all this. He had out there. It took me two hours. I said, man, you are skilled in that. But I'll tell you what, when I go over here to Haircut Gallery, they do it in 10 minutes, you know. But I had to get it done by that Boricua. I had to get it done, you know, by, by a Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican barber. You know what he said? Well, I, I, you know, I didn't like the way you, you and your wife made me feel. And, you know, like, like as if I wasn't a good Christian if I didn't go out and preach, you know, and do those things. Think about how spiritually stupid you have to be to argue this point with somebody. Think about how demonically oppressed you have to be to look a pastor in the eye who don't look nothing like you, wasn't born anywhere around here, saying, I am begging you, I am pleading you to go preach with me to the lost Puerto Rico. I'm begging you, please. And then you get mad at that person. Imagine the kind of wicked sinner you have to be. And yet there was a church down the road to take his behind and give him a holy backside. Put your holy backside right, but it's really an unholy backside. An unholy backside place to rest himself. Another church down the road, well, we'll take you. We won't put any pressure on you. We will take you, and we'll just massage you and love you and just tell you how amazing you are and all that, all that hard gospel preaching to the poor stuff. You leave to those other people. Another Puerto Rican pastor, I won't, man, I won't even name the name, I almost named the name, but I'll just point this direction, saw me in front of the church with a Bible on Wednesday. I will weep in front of you right now. I consider that one of my greatest honors is when I'm a part of something that's going on. This time I was meeting people on Wednesdays. So before I would meet them, I would stand there in front of the church with the Bible and preach. This Puerto Rican pastor drove by me, called up my friend, another Puerto Rican brother, and said, what is Joe in that church doing? He looks like a Jehovah Witness out there. Mocked me. Mocked me. That man's not preaching in that church anymore. anymore. My good friend Kenny is now. Praise God. That man needs to get right with God. You know, come on, people. Mock a pastor standing in front of his church with his Bible, acting like as if I'm doing something that's lame, acting as if I'm not as good as you. Maybe I don't have a pretty building like you, and here I am. You're going to mock that man? Even Paul said, he said, even if they preach the gospel for wrong motives, I still rejoice that the gospel is being preached. Brother, why wouldn't you come and park the car and stand with me for a few minutes and say, I've lived out here for 20 years, and I've never held my Bible on the streets. I was with another, I'm, I'm just saying, African-American, Puerto Rican, these are just the stories that I have. I probably don't need to say the culture, but I think it brings it into context because we live in a multicultural place. And I've had people say, white boy, you'll never be my pastor. But listen, this white boy pastor may be the one that God sent you because the other one's not here for you. I'm not saying it's the great white hope. I'm just saying you better hold on to the preacher that God brought you, no matter what skin color he is. Are you listening? Took out this one African-American preacher, street preaching. One of the best preachers I know in the city. I wish I could name his name, but I won't because I don't want to embarrass him. He's a man of God. I love him. Took him out on the streets. Had the speaker right next to us. And I said, it's your turn, preacher. Time to preach. And I'm telling you, he's one of the best preachers that I know in the city. Generous man, very kind, loving man. I can only speak well of him. Everybody say he loves him. So do not think I'm thinking better of myself than this man. But you know what he said to me? I don't know how. I don't know how. I said, brother, this is what I want you to do. I want you to grab that mic. 
and I want you to speak in little spitfires, little, little points. And I want you just to shout out the gospel because they're not going to take you serious unless you come on level 10. You can't work it up here with the organ. You can't wait for the church to get behind you. Just start right now on level 10 and come out there with passion and they'll stop and start listening to you and just give them little stuff. Little stuff. Jesus loves you. Pay the price for you. He, he wants to save you. The blood will wash you clean. Just start shouting it out. Brother started preaching. People started stopping. Nobody ever taught him. Nobody ever taught him. Brothers and sisters, we, we, we are being deceived by a world that's teaching them how to grow bigger churches. He was wanting to hire me as his youth pastor, and he told me, the reason why I want to hire you is my whole church is black. I need some white people. I want you to help me. That's what he told me. I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> he didn't end up hiring me, though, but, I mean, that's what, he, that's what he said to me. I need some more white people. You're a white boy. Give me some white people. He wanted to diversify his church. Can't blame him for wanting to. We should always have a diversified church. But listen, but nobody ever taught him how to get out in the streets. No one ever taught him how to go where the poor are to reach them. And no one really ever taught me. I learned later on in Bible college and got mentored. And, but when I first started, nobody ever really taught me. I had to learn how to deal with a drug addict. I had to learn how to deal with a prostitute. I had to learn how to deal with a, a God hater. First time I went out preaching, I honestly thought that they would be somewhat chill when I started preaching. I went to my skateboard friends. The first fight I almost got into after being a Christian was with my former skateboarder friends because they started cussing me out while I was preaching. And I'm like, man, I am not as saved as you think I am. Come on up. Seriously. And my friend kind of had to get between us. I ended up getting in a fight later on on a job. I was, I'm just being honest. I was only a few months saved. You're cussing me out. What does that do to a man? That makes you want to fight. But I had to learn. I don't fight against flesh and blood. I can't let that mentality take over. i got to love this sinner. One of my good friends, Pastor Troy, has been preaching like this forever. Always keep up with them if you want to hear more preaching like this during the week. Raven Ministries in New Orleans. He said one time he was preaching the gospel on the ferry. Homeless person came and spit right in his face. Right in his face. He said, what did you do? He said, I wiped it away. And I told him, I love you like I love my children when they used to spit up on my face. Because you don't know any better. He said at that point, that man started to break down and started receiving the gospel. I can't remember if he got saved, but he was arrested by the compassion that this man had over him. We're given an anointing to go out and preach the gospel. Notice in the church world today, if you could just grow up a little bit for me, please. Notice how all of these things are being neglected. Every now and then you'll see a little bit of charity, you know, a little something in the parking lot. I get it. You know, they want to show everybody they're here, a little back-to-school stuff. That, you know, happy that that stuff's happening. But when do you see the gospel coming with reaching the poor? When do you see it like we're going to set you free and bring deliverance? Do you know that that video of evangelist Adam Field laying hands on that man and him falling to the floor getting delivered and Lollapalooza has gotten over a million views because people are amazed that deliverance happens on the streets. Do you know that the first place I ever saw demons cast out was on the streets? I didn't know about any of this spitting in the bag, renounce it ten times, Bob Larson, take a, 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 a crucifix, put it on your head. I was dealing with homeless drug addicts manifesting right in front of me. And some of them would chase me and I would run. Seriously, I would run like the story in the book of Acts. I didn't know how to deal with them. And still Jesus, and said, until Jesus told me, when they start manifesting, you stand in front of them and say, come out in Jesus' name. That's how I learned. It was later that I went to deliverance ministries. It was later that I read a book on it by Carlos and Acondia, Listen to Me, Satan. But it was right there in the streets of New Orleans. Stop in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. I look at so many people now, they're called to be preachers, and yet I don't see them doing any of this. This, this is why 
I'm just being honest with you. I'm not enamored by them as many people are in the Christian world. Because my heroes were known for preaching where no one else would go. One of my early heroes was Lester Sumrall from Fort Wayne area. He had a church in South Bend. He was the name that would go around the church. Uh, he was the person that had the name and the reputation go around the churches and rebuke the pastors. That's why I loved him so much because they trusted him. But when he would come, he would rebuke him, man. He would tell them the truth and say, get up and go do something great for God. He started preaching at 15 years old. He didn't have anything. He started walking down the street in, in the farmlands and started preaching in farm barns. I mean, and then he started going overseas. That man traveled traveled to hundreds of countries, and he started feeding the needy. And one of the most popular stories is him bringing deliverance to a woman being demonized in the Philippines that ended up building the largest church in the world. The largest church in the world at that time was built by a man helping the poor of the Philippines and seeing a woman set free from demonization. It made the news. And now I look at what's going on today with our preachers, and I say, is this all we are? I know sometimes I make fun of their dress, their tight pants, and their $2,000 Nikes, you know, and all this. But that, that's not really it. That's just me teasing them. You know, I'm just old school. I just kind of wear what I wear. But I don't care about that. Here's what I really care about is why aren't they preaching reach the poor? Why aren't they raising up missionaries to go out into the world? David Wilkerson, another one of my heroes. That should be your homework assignment for everybody this week to either read the book, Crossing the Switchblade, or watch it with Pat Boone. Learn about how we got to where we are in the churches that you're in today. That's the man that I admire. There's a people like that. You go out into the community, you make a difference. This gang member said, uh, Nikki Cruz, I met Nikki Cruz. That's uh, Pastor Ad, uh, Evangelist Adam's mentor. I met Nikki Cruz. He was like, man, I like you, man. You're crazy for Jesus. He, he, said, he said, you're like me. I, that was one of the biggest compliments I ever could have got. How many know that's a good thing? Nikki Cruz calling me crazy for Jesus like him. Nikki Cruz, the gang member of that time, said to David Wilkerson, who was trying to help the gangs, he said, I will cut you up, preacher, in a million pieces and leave you out here to die. And then David Wilkerson said, in all million pieces, we'll be saying Jesus loves you. That's how you change the world, amen? I know a lot of you already get this, but I want you to hear it again as if you had never heard it before. Let's get set on fire again. Let's get passionate. Let's go. I want to do things I've never done before. I want to see more than I've ever seen before. I wouldn't even mind buying a tent this year, putting it in that corner of that lot. Look that up for me, Lawrence. Let's do some things here. Come on, I feel the anointing. I want to see if I can put a tent. Daryl, you and, and Lawrence, see if we can just put a tent there this entire summer coming up. Amen? Let's buy a tent, put those stakes down right in that empty lot, and say we're coming there every week to have revival. Didn't we say we want to build, uh, to, for the building fund, we want outreach chairs? Let's fill up those outreach chairs once a week out there. Amen? Do we just put the tent out there? We make sure that we have the permission to do that, and we'll get that place to be holy ground. I bet you nobody will tear it down. I bet you God will keep us safe right there. We'll build a tent and put it right there and say this block belongs to Jesus. That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. That's why you got a gospel truck out there. We'll keep going, man. I'll come up with 100 ideas, but I shouldn't be the only one. Let's go out and get big, big ideas for Jesus. Amen? Go to that slide that I have, please. That was the introduction. How many are ready for the message? This is the message right here. Ten points from Isaiah, five points from Matthew, two from James, three from Luke. Are you all ready for the message now? By God's grace, I'll probably get to this next week. I'm not going to keep you any longer. But I'll put this up on today's notes. Go back and look at what I preached on in Luke 4, Isaiah 61, and then get ready for this. Start praying about ideas. Well, pastor, maybe I can, maybe I can sow 
some winter clothes or gloves and go out with the ministry that goes to the homeless. Okay, you can do that. Uh, this is an example. In our area, Hoffman Estates, Elgin and Hoffman are right next to each other. You wouldn't think about Hoffman caring too much about the city, but they do. You have not because you ask not. One of the women that work at Target is being witnessed to by my wife, finds out she's a Christian. Oh, cool. So you find out somebody's a Christian by witnessing to them, right? Well, come to find out that this woman get free stuff all the time from Target. How many have seen my wife bring a, a, a van full of stuff and drop it off on Wednesday? That's coming from a Target in Hoffman. Well, Pastor, I feel called to go around to some of these businesses to see what they're throwing away at the end of the night and go out and feed the homeless. Okay, go check on this Dunkin' Donuts over here, see what donuts they're giving away, and start feeding the needy. Let's get out and do it in Jesus' name. Amen? Because this is where I'm going to end next week, Lord, by God's grace, we'll start. Proverbs 28, 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. God cares about the, the poor. The ministries that I admire, like David Wilkerson, I remember when um, that pastor, that, that leader that came here, what, what was his name? I forget his name from uh, David Wilkerson's ministry. Thank you. When Brother Joshua West came to us, he said, Wilkerson ministry still has over $100 million worth of resources. He started reaching the poor and the needy in New York City. They sold a $5,000 offering to us and then another offering into Juan's ministry of love life because they said to us, you're one of the few that we know are still in the cities reaching people for Jesus. Let us know if you need anything. Come on, somebody. Those who give to the poor got God's ear. See, when you say, give me, uh, you know, what I need, you know, give, give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy, just meet my, my needs of us four and no more, God's not hearing those prayers like, he, he, like you think he is, like he's going to just get up and tell the angels, okay, now they need another promotion, keep giving another, they still don't tie, they still don't give, they don't help me, but keep promoting. That's not how God works. God looks at what we're doing in his kingdom to give us resources. I'm not saying he doesn't care about us even when we're stubborn and rebellious. God is gracious. Can I hear an amen to that? But I'm saying you want to be partner with God? You want to be on what God is on? Start giving to the poor. Stop selling things in garage sales. Put them up on the Good Samaritan page and give them away. Just the other day, I was buying a chair here with, with the Lord's money because, you know, the church enables us to do that. And it, it would have made me look like I was sitting at a, at a big kid's table. It was like way down here. I would have been looking up here. And I said, I said to Lawrence, I said, Lawrence, go ahead and get that chair. I said, did you like that chair? He said, yeah, I love, I love that chair. I said, have that chair. Go ahead and get it. And I know that's, that's nothing. He's worth so much more than that. But I look at churches doing garage sales, spaghetti dinners. What are we doing? We're not here to be begging people in the community for money. If you do a spaghetti dinner, give it away. Amen? If you got enough to do a garage sale, put up it all there and just give it away. Well, what about the kids' youth program and all that? Have them get a job and learn to work. Amen? Or take up an offering in a generous church. But stop going out and selling stuff all the time. And then you talk to people, oh, we got to do this conference. That's why we got to sell this and sell that. Man, save your money. Amen. Save your money and give that to the poor. You notice everybody's talking about how blessed you're going to be if you give to them. But the Bible doesn't say you get blessed by giving more to a rich preacher. You get blessed by giving to the poor. Isn't that what the Bible said? And I'm not here to argue with those prosperity guys. Some of them are my friends, and we have our arguments and debates, and a lot of them do go hard for the gospel. I'll give them credit for that. Some of them are really in involved in what we're talking about today. But I don't like the approach of it because it always puts it back on you, you give to get. You give to get. I'm given not to get. I'm given because of what Jesus gave me. I'm given because he's worthy of it. Amen? That if he saved me and now gave me some resources, I can give it away to the poor, whether I get anything back. But what does the Bible say? We will lack nothing. We will be blessed. 
Recommend Heidi Baker's book, Always Enough. Started a missionary movement in Mozambique, Africa. Talk about, you know, running out of resources. She started a ministry in a war-torn African country. And yet she said the Lord always would provide the next shelter, the next place to live. She said that she's actually seen multiplication of food where food doesn't run out, where the beans keep getting served. Well, you don't get yourself in those positions to see those miracles until you have the heart to give generously. Amen? Until you give generously. Until you say, Lord, I'm going to give until you tell me to stop. Not, not, not stop and wait for you to tell me to start. Do you see the difference? I'm not going to stop right now and now wait for you to tell me to start. I'm just going to start right now and I'll stop when you tell me. Woo, I double dog there. Somebody get that revelation. Mark Brewer got it. My friend Mark Brewer got it. You know what he did? In a missionary convention, when the missionaries were there raising the money, God said to him, are you generous, Mark? Yep. Do you know I'm good to you, Mark? Yep. He said, then hand your checkbook to the person next to you and say, write whatever you, the Lord puts on your heart. Mark Brewer is one of the only people that I know tested the Lord in that. Took out his checkbook, gave it to the person sitting next to him and said, this is not my money to begin with. It's the Lord's money. And he told me to give you that checkbook and for you to write out whatever you think that missionary needs right now. That's faith. Hello, somebody. One young man came up to me after a service very similar to that. He said, I'm new to the church, but I got some money in the bank. What should I do with it? You know what a greedy preacher would have said? Write that check right now to the church. We could sure use it. I said, no, brother. You see what the Lord tells you to give. Because he was waiting for me to do No, no, you see what the Lord told you to give. It's got to be between you and the Lord. Amen? And so when the Lord told Mark Brewer to give it to that person, that person, you know what they said? They were praying while they were sitting. They were a young person. He worked with a lot of young people. He said that young person was saying, oh, God, I wish I could give, but I don't have any money. And, God, if I could give, and I don't remember the number, but, if God, if I could give, I would give $2,500 right now. If I could give, Lord, I would give that missionary $2,500. Check came into his hand. He wrote it out on behalf of Mark Brewer. How many know two people got blessed that day? Third, if you count the missionary, hallelujah. But that's generosity. And that man's never lacked for anything. If you keep up with some of my friends' lives that live like this, they're blessed. People give them building, houses, land. People bring ministry partnerships into their way. Their children are blessed. God provides for them. One last story in closing, Brother Anthony Freeman, who started the Bible college, SUM, School of Urban Mission, came out of Jimmy Swaggart after the fall there. And him and another brother started the Bible college in their living room. A few years later, they got a building. A few years later, they got multiple campuses. A few years later, they got a gospel truck. God always provided for their needs. If I could get them on the phone right now and say, Brother Anthony, tell me 10 testimonies in the last six months about how God's been provided. He'll go on to the next thing. God's been calling them to the Eskimos. Nobody's reaching them according to him in Alaska. So God's buying them snowmobiles. He's giving them out over there so they can preach more. God sent them to Philadelphia where there's really a fentanyl lane. God's using them over there. And you just start following these ministers and what God does in their lives. And then you follow the businessmen and women and the, and the mothers and fathers who support them. They're blessed. Amen? I said amen. There are people who are blessed today because they have given to the poor. Next week as we come, let's be prepared to do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Would you stand up with me today? Would you give it up for Jesus? Come on, if you love him. Woo! Oh, Holy Ghost, I thought I was going to get through that in one message. I didn't even get to the slide. <sighs> Altar worker and band, would you come, please? Father, we thank you that you became poor, that we might become rich. Oh, God, you came from heaven to earth. What a step down, oh, God. But you did it to be an example that it's okay to step down if you're going to lift us up. 
Lord, I pray for everybody here that they'll search their heart and see what they can do for their neighbor. They may not be able to help everyone, but they can help someone. They may not be able to do everything, but they can do something, Jesus. I pray right now, Lord, that you'll put the conviction upon us. Who's the next one that you're calling, oh Lord, to go to the food bank and start dropping off checks? Who's the next one that you're calling, oh God, to adopt a block? Who's the next one that you're calling, oh God, to go visit as we'll soon learn about the nursing home, the juvenile jails, and the adult prisons? Who's the one you're calling, oh God? Speak to us, Lord. There's so much to be done. All of us should be busy in your harvest field. We've already prayed, if you don't know Jesus, a prayer of repentance. But if you don't know and you didn't before, do it now. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Be born again. As the altar workers are beginning to line up here today, maybe you're the poor person. Maybe you're the one in need. Speak to one of our leaders here. We'll see if we can get you help. One of my biggest regrets is when you guys write us at the church and say, I need this much and we can only give you so much. That's because I want to believe God for us to have more as the years go by. But I thank God for those who are generous that we can do what we do, but there's always room for more. But if you're going through that today, let us know how we can help. And if we don't have it all, we're going to get your resources. Father, in the name of Jesus, make us blessed to be a blessing. Take away our anger that we may have towards the poor or towards the drug addict or the brokenhearted. And teach us, Lord, it's not by flesh and blood that we're battling, but it's by the spirits. It's by the principalities. And helping people we may get spit on. And helping people we may be ridiculed. Some of the meanest attacks I've ever received, Lord, are from those I help the most. But, Lord, let us not hold it against them. Help us to keep giving and to keep serving until you come back, Jesus. Lord, you care about the poor all throughout this community. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in your sight. I pray for them today. I pray for the nations that are suffering because of war, especially like right now, God, in Palestine and Hamas, and then what Hamas has done to those people. Oh, God, they're poor and they're in need. I pray for the help to come and for the terrorists to be defeated. I pray for those in the Ukraine to be spared of, of further of this war, God, and for them to be able to rebuild their society. I pray for these nations, God, where there's poverty, where there's lack of food and resources. I pray for every place that this is happening, that the church will rise up all throughout the nations of Africa. Rise up the church, God. Raise up the church all throughout Latin America, God. May the church be there. I'm already hearing stories that churches are lending to nations because some of these churches are so blessed while their nations are so impoverished that even churches and Christians are lending to nations right now. And Father, I know that for us to do it, we have to have it. So I pray that you give it to us, Lord, as you anoint us. In the next few moments, don't just seek the hand of the Lord. Seek his face in the anointing. Because it's the anointing that will bless you on your job. It's the anointing that will give you the resources. Just like how we don't fight like the, war, the world does. We don't make money like them. We do it based on an advantage called the Holy Ghost advantage. The advantage of favor. I pray in these next few moments that God will anoint you to be a gospel preacher who reaches out to the poor, going to the abortion clinic, being ready to adopt from the foster care program. Whatever God does, I wish we all could do it all, right? But we, we can do something. A few more moments right now. God, give us a heart. Give us a heart. As we see it, as you see it, we'll do it as you do it. Help us to see it the way you see it. Help us to see them the way you see them, God. Sometimes we take it so personal when they don't want the gospel, but we don't give up on them. We keep going. 
We keep going. I think about the times I go to the west side and those drug dealers getting on, getting on our turf, you know. I mean, they say we're getting on their turf and they get on our, 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 to our, get on our preachers and say, you're messing with our turf here, you know. Lord, we ask for those drug dealers to get saved. We pray, oh God, that they'll be compassionate when we come out there to preach the gospel to at least have enough common sense to let us help the needy, their customers that they're leading to hell few moments right now pray and intercede for this city all the needs here the immigration issue there's immigrants for Jesus Facebook page there are other friend churches put up if you need to partner with a church that's doing stuff they're doing it we're doing it as well as we go out and feed the needy every month in the name of Jesus